Oh my god, we're recording. It's working fine. It's recording. Fantastic. Right, so what do we want to do? Oh my god, I knew you were going to ask that. It was either going to be, what are we going to do? What do you want to say? I I kind of feel like that we're like the sort of pinky in the brain of the podcast world. Hello and welcome to the PR Hub podcast. My name is Adam Tuckwell. And I'm John Wilcox. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the show. This week we've got Rebecca Zeichlin, um, who, uh, well, as some of you may have seen, uh, really recently uh, posted a little thread about uh, in-agency, uh, in-agency, on agency versus in-house and and uh, the perception that certain in-house uh, people and practitioners are are incompetent and, and all that sort of jazz. So we talked to Rebecca about uh, her thoughts and all that, her journey. Um, and you know, we we you know we've got our first American um, guest, Adam, which is quite exciting as well. It is wonderful, and it was a really far-reaching interview where we covered lots of topics, uh, not just the the relationships between PRs in agencies and PRs in-house, but also how uh, PR needs to be more of a strategic discipline um, and what advice she would have for for agencies and how they should uh, progress and work in greater partnership or greater understanding of the the clients. So it was a really, really great chat, which we'll hear shortly. That's great. John, we've just had a poll on Twitter that's closed, hasn't it? What were the results? So, yes, thank you very much to everybody who took part. We had 59 votes, which, to be honest with you, was a bit higher than I was into. Uh, you know, so thank you to everybody there. It's relatively respectable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we posed the question um, that, you know, well, the acknowledgement that we've been very agency-focused this season and where should we turn our attention to next? We asked internal communications, in-house, independent practitioners, or more agencies, damn it. I liked the last... Uh, I, I like the personality that you shared with that. And we had the results and it was great to see that there was quite a lot of diversity of opinion, uh, but in-house definitely came out on top with 35% of the vote. And so we've made great efforts to ensure that we find uh, a, a nice mix of in-house professionals of all levels who can feature on the pod. But there was also quite a lot of people interested in internal comms, something we haven't touched upon at all in the pod, uh, independent practitioners. And there were still a few people, second place in fact, they'll just want more agencies damn it so we've got a really good feel for the type of people that that you want to to hear um but if you've got particular recommendations for for individuals then name names contact contact us uh, at pr hub on twitter and let us know the sorts of people we should be speaking to and for whom you would really like to hear from yeah and before we go into the interview uh, with rebecca do please like share subscribe comment on the pod it helps improve our visibility so we can break out of our our, our niche and and break into new audience cohorts adam because that's what it is because then we can monetize and we're going to adverts and stuff like that and we can be rich god damn it 2020 is going to be our year oh god i hope so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, seriously, you know, we 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 have a, a great lineup that we're just finalising between now and the end of the season uh, in December, and uh, we'll of course be working on series uh, season three for 2021, where hopefully we won't be under lockdown and we can even go further with with independent, uh, rather international uh, guests uh, uh, as well. So exciting times in the new normal, John. The new normal. <laughs> Dear me. Anyway, should we get on with the interview? Here we go. Rebecca, say thank you. We didn't get a chance to have a chat about whether you wanted to be on the pod. You just come on the pod, which is brilliant. It's it's kind of the most American approach to podcasting ever. That is brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, you're not our first. uh, You are our first American on the show. We had an Australian recently. Amazing. Hooray. I should be I drinking champagne, but I'm drinking a British beer instead. Oh, good work. What, what British beer are you drinking? I am drinking Easy Peeler from Four Pure. Ooh, oh, I've tried that. Citrus Session, though. you know. That's uh, brilliant. I'm, I'm having a decaf tea. Ooh. And I've got Luminescent Squash, because as regular listeners know, that's, that, that's all I pretty much drink, so... I, I have to confess that squash is one of the British things that I've not quite wrapped my mind around. Um... That and Ribena. What is Ribena? Hot Ribena. Oh, hot Ribena is lovely. And a oh winter's night. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
but but your sort of background really you know how uh, what what did you do in the states how did you come to be in the uk um and uh, how are you adjusting to a potential cultural difference in terms of uk comms versus american comms potential cultural difference oh geez <laughs> a huge cultural difference um the beginning is not in comms for what that's worth um so my my career history is really weird um, and I think everybody says that, but then they hear my career history and they're like, oh yeah, you, you are weird. Um, so I, for most of my life, wanted to be an equine veterinarian. That was the plan. Um, from the time I was like teeny tiny, that was the plan. And that was the plan until my last year at university. Um, and that's when I changed my mind. So hell of a moment, right? Because pretty much at that point, you're fully committed to the plan. Um, so my first degree is in animal science, which I use literally every day. Um, you know, it's super helpful in my day job. Um, most people like being able to claim that they can make sausages and, you know, shear sheep. So, you know, um, that's what I did at uni. Um, among other things, obviously, I, you know, other things. I happen to do some research as well. So I've got a bit of a science research background there. Um, but then I had to, like, you know, the epiphany that I didn't want to do what I thought I'd wanted to do, completely panicked, just so happened that I got accepted to a graduate program to do biomechanics. And I was like, hooray, science, we'll do this. And then I got offered a job that was like a once in a lifetime. Um, the World Equestrian Games, which is like the Olympics for horse sport, came to my hometown. It was the first time it had ever left Europe. It was a really huge deal um, in 2010. And I applied to be a volunteer and they said, cool, we'll have you as a volunteer. Oh, we want to hire you. Um, so I became the assistant manager of the language services department for that. So we supported 15 languages with 90 volunteer interpreters, wow. um, which is an epic undertaking, as you can imagine. And we were operational for 30 full days, which is a, a big task. And in doing that, uh, my whole life changed because I realized I could do sport for a living. And fast forward to today, I, I don't work in sport, right? So this whole career path just everything goes wrong, you know. Um, but yeah, so I, I realized I could work in sports. So completely on a whim, I applied for a different graduate program to study for a master's in sport management, did not expect to get a call back, got invited for interview and got offered one of 10 slots in the uh, world's best program for sport management. Wow. Uh, complete fluke thing, right? Like, why did they pick me? I think the reason they picked me is because um, it was a two-day interview process and uh, Thursday night we all went out and Friday morning I was the first interview of the day and I sat down and the program director looked me square in the face and said so I hear you closed the bar last night and I was like mm -hmm, I did <laughs> and he said okay and that was the interview so um, I'm sure he asked me other things I just don't really remember anyway so I did that and um, during that process got um, it's a dual degree so got my MBA and my master's in sport management took a class um, with a fantastic communications professor um, who now works for YouGov doing amazing things. Um, and she kind of revealed comms to me and I decided, huh, I kind of like talking. So this sounds like a good job. Um, and I did my thesis in motorsport. That was the sport I picked. So um, motorsport communications decided that if I really wanted to chase the Formula One dream, I should move to England to do that. So I kind of decided and then bought a ticket for two weeks, two weeks later, packed my life into two suitcases and came here with no plan at all. Uh, I mean, my wow. plan was to get a job. Obviously there is a plan, but yeah, yeah, yeah. get a job is not a plan. Um, <laughs> that's like the thing you do. It's not how you do it. Um, and yeah, I have never worked in Formula One, so that went well. <laughs> you know, that's okay. Um, I have been in-house my whole career. I've done some dabbling. So during my graduate work, we had to work with agencies on like, you know, consulting projects and stuff, um, which was good fun. But my goodness, did I not want to work for a sports agency. Um, that's a unique environment, to say the least. Um, and, you know, not to open a whole can of worms, but the way they pay junior members of staff in sports business just overall is really quite terrible because people do it for love and they will happily take peanuts money to do something they love, which I have kind of an intrinsic problem with. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that's how I ended up here. 
And 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 well, t- tell us about the route into. Uh, so you work for a, a, an aircraft manufacturer, and now it's uh, in. I was thinking, I, I used the term aeronautics when I was explaining to a friend of mine, but I'm not even sure whether that was accurate by saying aeronautics. So but, we, uh, we consider ourselves to be aerospace and defense, which sounds quite posh, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Aerospace is probably the, the best way to describe it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy business, actually. Like as a sector, it's a really unusual sector in a lot of ways because most aircraft manufacturers are making products that are half for you and I to fly on to go on our holidays and are half for military use. Um, so you've got really conflicting kind of goals, really different customer groups, really different approaches to pretty much everything about everything is different procurement. It's all different. Um, and you have to sort of cram all of that into one brand identity, which is a challenge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's fun. It's yeah. I guess it is challenging, but it's fun. Um, but yeah, so aerospace was was not in the plan either. Um, so I worked for a big data company for a little while in the grocery retail space, which sounds super fun. Um, they were a startup. I think I was like their eighth employee or something. So, you know, that brings its own type of chaos. Um, but they've they've absolutely killed it. You know, they're in. They've grown hugely now, um, which is kind of cool to look at them being all successful and be like, oh, I played a teeny tiny part in that. Um, I helped name the product. Yay. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so that was the first kind of real job. Then I worked in healthcare for a little while for one of the largest um, recruitment firms in the UK, um, which gave me my first taste of public policy work, um, which was um, an experience like the week after I started, the government put in place new regulations that um, absolutely hamstrung us on the profit front, which obviously is never a good day. Um, and pretty much they left it to me to figure out what we we're going to do about that. So um, that's what I did. And then after that, I went to an engineering firm that is, oh gosh, they do amazing stuff. Um, so my big job while I was there was launching the Boardman Performance Center, which is Chris Boardman's wind tunnel that you and your bike can go and have a session in. The company I worked for built the wind tunnel. And uh, so we, we got to do the press um, work around explaining how a wind tunnel works to people who know nothing about wind tunnels. And then I got headhunted and came to aerospace. So I've been giving this some thought, actually, not on your behalf, no offense, uh, but, you know, people ask me all the time about my career path, right? Because it, like on the surface, you look at my CV and it just doesn't make sense. It's like, how did, why are these the things that hang together? And I think if you look actually underneath the layers of the businesses I've worked for, there have been some trends in the type of organizations I've worked for and the problems they had. Um, so I'm really comfortable in a scale-up type environment. So I found startup land quite stressful. Um, it's when you're really scrabbling around and trying to just start, that takes a special kind of person to do that. And I think the kind of general consensus around like your executive team as a business is you've got one group to start it, one group to scale it, and one group to make it live. Um, and I think... I've worked for businesses in all three and the middle one is a comfortable space for me because I'm quite a generalist. Um, I sit happily at a strategic level and I dabble in things that are not comms. So the thread that runs through my work is actually always working a little bit outside of comms. In every job I've had, you know, they've let me kind of play in other spaces. This role probably more than any of the others, definitely more than any of the others. <laughs> this, this, this job stretches me a lot. Um, but that's kind of the thread that runs through them all. What's really interesting, Rebecca, is when you talk, listeners won't be able to see, but maybe they'll hear it through your through your speech, that when you talked about your college professor who taught you about comms, your face lit up. And then when you talk about each of the brands and companies that you work for, you've got a clear passion for them, for whatever stage of life they are at. And I appreciate your honesty. And I particularly like the phrasing of the way in which you said their problems rather than their challenges or their opportunities. No, their their problems that you sort of talk about, which is great. And I think one of the things that I really miss about working in-house and one of the things that really um, appealed to me was the way in which you become so emotionally invested in the businesses that, that you work for and you become so ingrained. So every win is 
is a real win and you have the highs and you have the lows and you get to breathe it and live it and experience it. Um, and that's great. And especially as you talk about the different size of businesses or, or, or age, ages of businesses, age stage of, of businesses, what excites you and things, which is, which is great. You mentioned the fact that um, you tried a bit of uh, or experience with sport agencies and things like that. So, so you're an in-house practitioner and why is in-house so special to you? What, what is it that appeals to it? Is it the fact that you can dabble and do lots of different things? Is it the variety? What, what, what works for you? I think the first thing is actually what you've just, you've just said that um, I'm very deeply purpose-driven and I'm also very loyal. So those two character traits in myself really lend themselves to working in-house because I can pick an employer whose purpose aligns with mine or who will be, be who will be benefited by my purpose. Um, so if I see something in them that they've not seen in themselves yet, perhaps, um, and can kind of push that, that's really good for me. Um, and like I said, really loyal, um, sometimes to a fault, <laughs> probably debatable, definitely have been known to stay in roles for too long for that. Um, at least I know I do it, but that th those kind of characteristics in me um, would make it more challenging, particularly at a junior level where you might be working on lots of accounts or like jumping in and out of accounts. While that would be fun from kind of a skills base perspective, I think I would find that quite stressful because I really care about knowing everything about the company and you just don't have enough time. I don't think you have enough time to do that if you've got lots of them that you have to worry about. Um, you can never quite get as deep. And if you're not part of their core team, you don't get exposed to as much. And that's just the nature of that relationship. You know, you don't you don't see everybody, you don't you don't breathe the, the same air as them. And that matters to me and to the way I do work. Um, I love the way, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt, I, I love those two phrases that you use to describe yourself as as loyal and purpose-driven. Um, do, do you think that uh, loyalty is great, and, and I'm not going to, but the, the purpose-driven thing really, really attracts me. So do, do you think that comms practitioners as a whole are really driven by that? Do you think that's a, a characteristic that unites the people that you see and you meet? No. No, I don't. Um, I think a lot of people think it does. Um, but, you know, I've met some people who are working for organizations and they talk a really good game about being purpose driven. And I can just see the lack of alignment in what they're stating as their purpose and the organization they're working with. It's like, how, how, how is that comfortable for you? Because I definitely feel it when the purpose is not aligned. Um, and that's not to say I only have one purpose, you know, I I'm reasonably malleable in that respect. Um, I can find purpose in things. It's just kind of, that's, I, yeah, I can adopt a purpose, I guess. Um, but I know when I'm not aligned and I can tell immediately when that alignment is out, even in a job, you know, in the course of having one job, you can feel that. So I'm trying to come up with a great example. And of course, I'm not going to have a good one. But in my job now, I love what I do. I love the business I work for and the people I get to do that with. Um, I don't like Mondays, but that's mostly because Mondays are all meetings. So, you know, I don't I don't blame that on them. But there have been times where we've had a conversation about something. And I've walked away from that conversation feeling wrong in a way I couldn't put my finger on. And so I've just kind of like, it's, it's really worried me. So I've kind of worried over it for a period of time. And I've gone back and said, look, I can't tell you why, but this just doesn't feel right to me. And we work it through and then we end up aligned again. But this, sometimes that alignment is so sensitive that you can use it as like a, a strategic dipstick to make right. sure that actually what you're doing is right. Hmm. Um, I have completely forgotten what your question was. <laughs> I'm just r rambling on about being purpose. Don't worry, no, no, no. I remember. Um, I think, I think I worry about some of the agencies I see, and this is coming up a lot lately, and um, with kind of greenwashing and purpose washing, and all of these kind of conversations around um, doing a DNI initiative because George Floyd happened and wow, we need a DNI initiative. All of these problems are connected to the same thing, which is not being purpose-driven fundamentally. It's doing purpose because somebody tells you it's right to do purpose. Um, or you're worried you'll get caught out for not. Yeah, well, and not everything has to be purpose-driven. I mean, for goodness sakes, consumer products are consumer products. Like, do people buy diapers because, 
you know, Huggies has a, an amazing brand purpose. I don't know that I believe that. Um, somebody's probably got to write in and be like, that lady didn't know what she's talking about. But, you know, I, don't I worry, do Rebecca, think... we don't have that many listeners. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All three of them will text me afterwards. It's great. Oh, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> We got more than that. <laughs> Rude. No. Well, there are three of us on the call, so yeah. That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think, I think Adam's the one that's going to call in and complain. To be honest with you. Yeah, but I think the the point I'm trying to make genuinely is that I think part of the problem with purpose washing is that we attribute purpose to everything, and actually, purpose is greater than that. Like, a, a light bulb doesn't have to have some sort of special higher power to it. It's a light bulb. And we have to be willing to call a spade a spade in that regard. Um, that's not always the case. Sometimes a single product is transformative in some in some kind of way, but I think our purpose has to be more subtle than that. Um, you know, it's, I find that very disappointing. And and I think as I see and hear people talk about purpose, I see the slippery slope just falling away in front of us, where everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, I'm purpose driven, and I do this and." our brand purpose is that. And it's like, well, is it, do you believe that? Does it keep you awake at night when you do something that's in violation of that? Because if it doesn't, it's not real. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was very deep. I like that. And then I was also going to pick on the loyalty point. Um, so do you think that the in-house comms are too loyal and that loyalty could impede their career development? Do you think they they stay to or have a tendency to stay too long in a job or or maybe that loyalty calls into question the the ethics of what they do and uh, and how they do it? Do you think do you think there's a there's an issue the, there? The ethics point I'm going to leave to the side for a second. I think the kind of loyalty as it impacts somebody's career development. I think it is a factor. It is not the only factor. Um, I think it comes down to probably a million things, but you get trapped into this, like, oh, you work in this sector, so you can only work in this sector. Or you think um, you can only work in this type of in-house comms or whatever it is. And the reality is actually quite different. I mean, I am living proof that you do not have to be trapped into one sector for your whole career. I mean, maybe eventually that'll be a problem. Sometimes I look at roles and they're like, oh, well, if you want to be the chief marketing officer, you have to have 15 years of fintech experience. And it's like, does anyone have 15 years of fintech experience? First question. Second question, I mean, why does that matter? Like surely diversity in, th in thinking and diversity of experience is useful. Different, that's a different thing. Um, I do think loyalty can stop people from pursuing career changes that would be to their benefit. Um, I do think it makes people tolerate things they shouldn't tolerate. Um, loyalty is no excuse for being underpaid. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially young people who really believe in something and really love what they're doing are willing to accept not enough. Um, they're not, they're, they won't fight hard enough and they'll let that loyalty kind of exploit them. Not deliberately. I mean, I'm not saying that their employers are, are out to do that, but if you're sitting there thinking, well, do I ask for a promotion this year or not? Well, I know it's been a really hard year and, you know, I know that we've had to cut budget and we were going to recruit, but we didn't. So no, I'm, you know, I'm just not going to. That inner monologue happens all the time. Um, and you have to really fight yourself not to fall into that trap. Now, I have no idea if that happens in the agency world. You know, I, I, it's certainly possible that it does. I think it's easier to move between agencies than it is between sectors in-house, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, they could have the same problem. That might not be an in-house thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly uh, the case that if you're in a, if you're in agency comms, you know, it, it's a proper merry-go-round, isn't it? You know, twelve months, eighteen months, you know, twenty-four yeah. months, perhaps a little bit, and then you're off and you're trying the next thing, and you're definitely not beholden to certain sectors. You're, you're you know, you're, you're you're moving into in between, you know, small agencies, big agencies, back in London, across London. Do you ever leave London? All that sort of stuff. And 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 I think you're absolutely correct. It's probably a lot easier to move uh in an agency world uh than it is in 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 house i think do you think in house in some regards is seen as almost the sort of um the, the, the 
prize sort of golden egg a little bit. It's secure. You're you're not quite. It's perceived to be more secure, perhaps, than, than agency. Um, so whilst you are um, giving yourself over to the company uh, in terms of loyalty and the ability just to bat away, you're in a monologue that you mentioned that sort of stuff. Um, do you think it's worth it for that sort of security, essentially? So I'm going to contest your premise. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure it is more secure. It's a different kind of security. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of in-house people are one of only a couple of comms practitioners. Um, and speaking from personal experience of being made redundant, comms is the first team to go um, because anybody can write an email, right? You know, any kid that we pay eighteen grand could do social media, right? It's mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there's that kind of, if you've been around that roundabout more than once, you, you know that if things start to go wrong, you're in kind of job protection mode a little bit, um, especially in businesses that are perhaps more fragile than others. Um, and being a lone practitioner is really, really hard, just as a completely separate topic. I mean, that's, it's a very unpleasant way to work sometimes. I think the thing that I hear most often and usually from young people who don't, who who really shouldn't know one way or the other because they've not worked in either, they'll say things like, well, I really want to start my career in agency. And maybe when I'm older, you know, I'll I'll kind of step away from agency and work in house. I'm like, what makes you think this is calm and relaxing? And I think that kind of sense of the gold, you know, the gold mug, like it's a steady paycheck, it's not doggy dog like the agency world is. You know, there's not always somebody younger and brighter than me coming up behind me. I can sort of settle in and they'll take care of me, which I don't think any of that is actually true, but it's the perception. And I think it's also perceived that in-house work is less complicated um, because it's only one one company, right? You only have to know one business. <sighs> Yeah, well, let me tell you, right? Like, you might only need to know one business, but when you work in house, you need to know so much more about that business than you do if you're just running a single, you know, product launch campaign. Um, I, well, with that, with that, with that being the case, then do you think that one of the most important things that in-house practitioners could actually do is, is somehow, if it's at all possible. Uh, make well. You've got to make yourself invaluable to the to to the exec level, and you've got to get a seat at the board. How 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 does one do that? What's in your opinion? How how does one best uh, position themselves as invaluable to get that sort of ear of the of the sort of C suite? Uh, the first thing you do is you understand how business works. I I uh, comms people walk around with their heads up their asses all the freaking time, and it makes me crazy. Like. N- Business. <laughs> Stop it, folks. This is going to be good. Oh. I, quite, I quite liked freaking. I thought that was, I thought, I yeah. thought I was, I was going somewhere to, else. I was trying to moderate. It was going somewhere else. I caught myself. It was. Time. It was. It was um, good. So the question I would ask of any, and this is a conversation that we're having all the time, right? Like it, it is constant, this discussion of how does comms and PR make itself a strategic discipline? First order of business is to understand how businesses work. And I don't care if you're in-house or your agency, because when an agency starts talking at me about what they think I need, I can smell when they don't understand how businesses work and all of their credibility goes out the window instantly. You know, and, and it's really hard to win that back when you've lost it. If you don't understand like when I give you a budget figure, I've given you that budget figure because it's coming out of quite a long and complicated financial process that happens where the agency doesn't see it. And if you come back 50% above my budget, I mean, you better have a damn good reason for that. And you better be able to explain it to the penny why it matters. And you got, you've probably got to do it with some energy. Otherwise I'm just not going to believe you. And I'm going to think you just want money out of me. Um, again, not your question, but, um, So I think business acumen, you know, I would rather hire somebody who has worked in a variety of businesses in admin roles where they got some sight of finance than somebody who's got a year of pure comms experience who hasn't had sight of finance. Uh, Because 
finance is really handy um, to understand that, to understand what drives businesses. Um, so I think that's my first, the first point about how do you make comms a strategic discipline? Well, you start by acting like one. And if you, if you model yourself off of finance, that's actually not a bad starting place. You know, they, they had the advantage of being regulated. You know, accounting is, is not something that Joe Bloggs can just rock up and do. Well, he can try, but it's not going to go very well. Um, but, you know, if you can't sit down with a P&L or a balance sheet and understand what you're looking at, you've got a problem. Um, and, and then I think the next thing is stop thinking tactically. It's not about a campaign. Campaigns don't matter. It's about holistic goals for the whole business that some days are not going to be about you. They're going to be about an operational problem that needs to be resolved. And comms can help that, but you have to be thinking about it like an operational problem, not like, oh, well, we're going to run a campaign around that. Well, no, if you approach the board like that, they're just going to laugh at you. I mean, not literally. Most boards are probably more polite than that, maybe. <laughs> um, I, so, And I think the other thing is the hard part is you really have to be in an organization that gets it. Um, mm. And if they don't get it, you've got a long road to demonstrate in the face of them not getting it that they can get it. I'm very lucky in the company I work for now that my CEO totally understands how important narrative is. Mm. He just gets it. So when I come to him with a narrative problem, we have a pretty open and frank discussion about it and it's fine. And he trusts that comms is part of that process. I'm always in the loop. Um, and some of that is because he, he just gets it. Some of it is because obviously I'm outstanding at what I do, you know, <laughs> like, um, but, but more importantly, I think I approach the business like a business, not like a comms department. You know, we're, we're part of a fully functioning business that has a bottom line and strategic goals for the whole business. And my job is to translate those into tactics that my team can deliver. That's the whole point of what I do. That is brilliant. I think there's an awful lot of hot air that comes out of comms professionals trying to justify their own importance rather than demonstrating the value of what they can do to businesses. At the end of the day, no, I mean, I say this to my boss all the time, nobody cares actually about me at all. It's just like, you know, when I talk to the, to the media, Journalists don't want to hear from the head of comms. That's not who they're talking to. They're there to hear from somebody else. And if I interject myself into that process, what am I getting? Uh, and I actually, I get annoyed when I get quoted by name and stuff. It kind of irritates me. Um, not least because sometimes they spell my name wrong, which is like, come on, guys. How did you, <laughs> I've emailed you. How did you screw that up? Um, but, um, you know, more, more, it should be a member of my team who are the representatives of the business. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca, the in-house, uh, former in-house pro inside of me is clapping and applauding and smiling at everything you say about how wonderful in-house roles are. Uh, and I'm really supportive and I've been uh, too loyal in in the past, but I want to be more value-driven in what I do. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer and I, I, I love what you've said. And as a result of that, I'm quaking in my boots now as an agency leader <laughs> because... Uh, you came to our attention recently because you uh, shared a particular tweet, which I quote, uh, I've woken up this morning really grumpy about agency people shitting on in-house people. Uh, we aren't all incompetent. And I get that it sucks when we put work into a pitch and it falls over. I've had projects that I've gone a long way uh, to go live that get yanked. It's, it's not fun. Uh, I've had great agency relationships. And there's a wonderful thread that continues. Oh, geez. Uh, Rebecca, what is your beef with agencies or certain agencies? Talk to us. Talk it's to definitely, God. so I, I'll be clear straight at the outset, it is certain agencies. So I have a couple of agencies I work with right now who I love. Um, and Thanks for I, listening. <laughs> yeah, I would, be, I would be very sad if I couldn't work with them. Um, they're not always easy to find. Sometimes it's, you find them accidentally and that's wonderful. Sometimes it's... A, a real process. Um, I've worked with agencies that don't fall into that category and there's a reason I don't work with them anymore. My beef with agencies is, well, so the, the thing that really sets off the, the tweet rant for me, because um, let's call it like it is, it was definitely a rant. <laughs> You've left out all the angry, 
Left out all the angry ones in the middle. <laughs> it was it was it was a heck of a way to start a Friday morning. <laughs> was that Friday? Oh God! It was the twenty twenty first? Yeah, twenty first. Yeah, yeah. Friday morning, nine a.m. Hmm. Which yeah, I so think is work time. <laughs> <laughs> Every time is work time. Yes, Adam. <laughs> Sorry, I've got used to my role. <laughs> You don't want to know how many emails I've gotten in the time we've been talking. And what time is it right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the thing that kind of triggered the tweet, right, is that I think a lot of agencies do these elaborate pitches um, that I under, they're wonderful. When you receive one, you feel like the queen of the world. Like, oh, thank you for making me feel like I own this agency. It's wonderful. Um, but sometimes they're really not crunchy um, and they're impressive, but they lack a discussion. And, you know, I understand that when you've put in the time and effort to develop a pitch to try and win business, it's really disappointing when that doesn't work. I get that. Um, and I always feel really badly when I have to tell an agency that they've not won the work. Um, I don't like doing that. And sometimes, I don't even have like I can't even give them thirty-seven reasons why, you know, it could it could have come down to something really tiny and something that seems ridiculous, but it just happened to be what it came down to on that day in that rubric. Um, so welcome to life, right? Um, and you can't choose who you're up against. You can only do your your best. You can't. If there's yeah, another and, agency that's better than you, then they're better than you. Yeah, yeah and and I think um, I think that's a good way to approach it. And. The other thing about the the exercise of pitching is I try to write a really good brief. I do try. It's easier for some work than for other work. So we had our website rebuilt, oh my God, last year. <laughs> this, 2020 is really screwing with my ability to keep time. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, last year we, we had um, our website rebuilt and I had a really specific brief for that because I knew exactly what the budget was. I knew exactly what I wanted it to do. The only thing I didn't really know was what I wanted it to look like. Um, and, you know, I didn't necessarily have a, like a back end I wanted it built on, that, those kinds of things. But I knew who the audiences were. I put a lot of effort into it. I want to say it was like six pages long, which is, you know, a lot for me to write and just send to a bunch of people. Um, and I always make myself available for conversations. Not every agency takes you up on that. It's like, guys, if the point person for the account is saying, call me anytime i'm happy to talk through this do do that <laughs> seems like a no-brainer um, take the hint yeah like you know make use of that time um and then you know i want it to be back and forth if you read my brief and you're like eh, you know what i hear you saying is actually something more like this talk to me about it and i'll tell you if you're completely wrong or not um, i'll be honest and the most important thing for me is to find a team i can work with you know, you might not have the most experienced people. You might not have won all of the awards. I actually don't give a shit how many awards you've won. Nobody cares. Um, I've been into agencies where they've got, like, you walk into the reception area and it's like, gongs on the wall. And immediately you're just like, oh, God, you're so self-important. Um, like, yeah, anyway. Um well, can I, can I can I can I quick quick quickly ask how do you feel about the phrase that you might see in lots of pictures from agencies? I know I've seen it on on several occasions, which is, "We will be an extension of your in-house comms team." <laughs> um, sometimes that's true. Um, when it works really well, you're not actually an extension; you just are part of the comms team. Um, so one of the teams I work with right now, that's exactly how it is. Um, we we laugh and joke just like I would with my team. Um, and they're in the loop, they're properly in the loop. Um, I even update them on things that actually have nothing to do with the work they're doing because it seems like it would be helpful. Um, but don't say that, prove it. Like Everybody says it. it it's, it's so many things like you read on agency websites, like it's a load of crap. Do you think Rebecca, do, do you think the the issue is that these two things that need to work in harmony together, 
just don't really understand each other. So agencies don't really understand in-house and in-house don't understand agencies. And as a result, you get all this tension that builds up. So as, a, as, as an agency person now, my big frustrations, oh, it's a bit like a therapy session, this, isn't it? My big frustrations are that uh, people don't give me a budget at all. Oh, just tell me what you could do for a big range. Well, why? Because you don't have a range. So tell me ballpark. Because actually, if I was going to buy a car, I'd, I'd, I'd know whether I want a five-year-old beat-up car or I want a brand-new Bentley. You know, you'd, you'd have an idea, wouldn't you? That's where you're. And then there's an issue. And then there's an idea... Or, no, or, 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 <laughs> but ultimately, uh, so, so budget is, a, is, is an issue. And then um, just an openness and honesty. And I really get your point about uh, being open and transparent because it's a, it's a relationship thing on two sides and, and two groups of people are choosing each other and trying to see whether they're going to work with each other. Do you, do you think there is just this, this divide now between the in-house team and the agency and ultimately there's, there's too much pitching because there's too many short relationships or broken relationships or relationships that don't work. Mm. So I think, I guess it depends on how you want to define the relationship. So I prefer to work on project terms rather than retainer terms. Um, so that should mean that there isn't a, a relationship as such, right? Because I'm not paying you the agency just to have you around or just to kind of do maintenance work. Now, in fairness, there is some type of, some work that needs to be done in that way, you know, where it's it's got kind of a drumbeat that has to be maintained over a long uh -huh. period of time. If the work looks like that, then that's what the project looks like. But generally, I don't want to pay you unless I have something specific that I want you to do with specific goals and outcomes. And that might mean we literally go project, 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 one after the other, and it feels a little bit more like you're retained. Um, so first is the definition of what is the relationship between the two organizations and you know earlier we talked about um, purpose and alignment a really important feature of agency in-house alignment is goal setting why are we in this relationship what are we doing together and not just specifically the work like do we believe in each other because if, you, if the answer is no then if you don't believe in my product bye it's that simple um, I don't have time to work with people who don't believe in what we're trying to do because I need you to believe it mm. to do your job. And equally, if I start working with a team and I feel like I'm losing faith in the team, I will and have gone above the team to, you know, a client services director or something like that and said, look, something's not feeling right. Help me, help me make this feel right. And if they can't resolve it, it's not resolvable. Um, so it's just like being, it's just like dating, right? Like sometimes you go on a first date with somebody and you're like, nah, no, this is, this is bad immediately. So that happens sometimes in a pitch where you just immediately get a vibe where you're like, this is not going to be a good fit. Fine. Um, sometimes you date somebody for a couple of months and you're like, oh, well that was fun, but you know, we're not in it for the same thing. And then sometimes you meet somebody and you're like, I will never, ever be able to be without you. And maybe three years from now you've changed your mind and actually that was a nice three years but we're ready to move on that's okay it's there's no requirement that you have a 30-year agency company partnership like i don't i don't think um i don't think that's mandatory budgets you said the b word <laughs> budgets um so i will confess to something here on not so live radio that um Sometimes I don't have a budget. Sometimes I have a problem that I, you know, a challenge, as you said earlier, a challenge, not a problem. Uh, sometimes I know- No, I like problems. I like, I like, you, I like you saying they're problems because that's what they problems. are. Let's not sugarcoat them. <laughs> this is definitely a problem. Uh, so sometimes I know that I have a, a problem I need to solve. And because I don't know the best approach to solving it, it's really difficult to say what the budget is. Because actually, if you tell me that five grand will get me answer A, 10 grand will get me answer B, and 10 and a half grand will get me answer C. Well, I might've gone in thinking seven and a half grand was the right number, but answer C actually sounds really good and it solves more of the problem than I was expecting. Mm. So if I'd gone in and said, it's seven and a half grand, that's the budget, rather than having the conversation around what's the art of the possible and what's the order of magnitude we're talking about here? Because 
you know, like a new website, a new website in a previous role was a six figure endeavor. A new website might be a four figure endeavor. It might be a five figure endeavor. It could be, it could be any number of things. So you kind of want to understand first, what's the level of stuff you need to have done. So in the case of a website, what level of functionality do you need to have and how much does that tend to cost me? Now, if you don't, if you haven't done it before, you might not know what that might cost you. You know, you might have a random 30 grand line item in your budget, but you have no idea what that's going to buy you. So you actually have to have a conversation with people who are experts in this. You know, the reason I'm paying somebody to build it is because I don't code. I mean, I do, but nobody really wants me to. Um, it's like the, the web development team really don't want me in the back end of anything ever because I always break it. Um, so you pay somebody for their expertise and their knowledge. And I really value when an organization is willing to have an open discussion about, look, if you came to me with, now I, at your point about whether it's a Bentley or a 10-year-old VW is fair. And I think there is a bounding box around stuff. You know, I, I try to be forthright with agencies and say, look, I'm not MasterCard. Um, you will never get that kind of budget out of me because I just don't have that kind of money. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, I have, I, I don't like to, but I have told agencies what my annual marketing budget is. I said, look, this is the amount of money I have to spend on everything. So what percentage of that do I need to address to this problem to be sensible? And I'll have that conversation with people, um, which leads me to fee structures. Like I already said, I don't like retained work. Um, I really don't want to pay you for hours. I want to pay you for a result. If it takes you one hour to do that, I don't give a fuck. You did it. Hooray. Have your money. If it takes you 47 hours, then sorry, it took you a long time. You were bad at it today. You know, like it, it could be. <laughs> but you did well to get 47 hours out of today. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> this is why I'm so good at my job, Adam. I just magically make the clock. I did say 2020 was screwing with me. It's um, true. So, and the other thing that I wish more agencies would be open to is win percentages, um, win fees, because I think that helps with that alignment problem. So rather than me paying you, you know, five grand every month for the six months of the program, I'll pay you two and a half, but then you'll get a bigger chunk at the end when I've, when we've achieved a goal. And maybe we even build in two things where you've got, which we've actually recently done with a creative, like we set a couple different points. So if we hit X, you get Y, if we hit Z, you get A, and that helps incentivize everyone using the thing that everybody cares about, which is money, to point you all in the same direction and keep you pointing that way. Um, it's kind of nice to mm. do that. I think that sort of concept of stretch goals and, and breakout goals and stuff like that, I think it's something that more and more people have become familiar with even outside of, of, of in the sort of mainstream in any case, thanks to um, things like uh, Kickstarter and Patreon and, and sort of crowd, crowdfunding business models and things like that. So I think that's actually a really interesting way of doing it. I know that, you know, you can certainly introduce a similar sort of thing into a comms team uh, with KPIs and, and, and all that sort of stuff as well. So I think that's a really, really interesting way of doing it. Yeah, and it also helps because it means you've pre-agreed what the outcomes are because I think it is too common to get pitched work where it's lacks crunchiness. And I'm, I'm not suggesting crunchiness means numbers for all the things. Um, I'm definitely not in the bucket of numbers, all the things. Um, I actually think we sometimes are, as a, as a sector, too keen on quantitative data. Um, and I think that's not a great place to end up because it, it turns us into too many numbers when actually some of the art in what we do is not necessarily numerical. And there are good ways of doing qualitative research, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. Um, yeah, I mean, like a whole host of research sectors use qualitative data routinely. It's completely normal to do that. So why can't we? So Rebecca, if, uh, if, if agency leaders saw your thread and wanted to know one thing to change about the pitch process to make it better for everybody, what, what would you recommend they do? Spend less time on the freaking pitch. And spend <laughs> more time talking to me. 
You know, it, so, you know, I, one of the things I've, I've seen and heard a lot of is, you know, agencies put a lot of money into doing these pitches. And that's probably justified if you're trying to win a mega, mega client with a mega, mega budget, then it seems sensible that you put in some, I mean, just rocking up on the day and being like, hi, we didn't make a PowerPoint. That's probably not going to fly. But you know what? For me, that's probably okay. I mean, I want you to show that you're interested and you're committed to trying to win my business. Like, do try. But if you said, come in, let's have a half day where we just talk or, you know, let's do two hours today and then we'll go away and do some thinking. And then in another two hours in a couple of weeks, we just want to talk through the things. I don't need to see all of the creative. I'd rather you say, okay, well, here are three pieces of creative we've done for somebody else that I think are reflective of the kind of angle we'd take with what you're doing. You know, it it's nice when somebody sticks my logo on it. You know, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy, but actually does it make their work any better? No. No, it doesn't. What makes the work really good is when we shake hands on the plan and we both completely bought into the plan. Um, so I, I would rather see face-to-face -face conversation, well, face-to-whatever conversations. Who knows what the new world's going to look like? But I'd rather have more conversations. I want to understand how you work as a, as a team. I want to understand how you want to work with me as a client. I want you to understand what I'm like as a client. I am not an easy client. Probably obvious <laughs> at this stage. I, I will be very forthright. I am an absolute pain in the ass. Um, I'm quite demanding. And half the time I have no idea what I want. I just need to talk about it. And eventually I'll figure it out. I'll get there. But I need you to be very patient <laughs> while we're working. Um, and then the last thing is don't send in the big guns for the pitch if they're not going to be working the account. Mm -hmm. it's, oh, I, while I love meeting your creative director, he or she is a lovely human being and I'm sure very wonderful at their job. If I never ever see them again, especially, and maybe it's different if you've got multi-million pound budgets, you know, I don't. And if you treat me like the dirt on the bottom of your shoe, that's not going to make me feel so good, is it? Um, you know, treat me with the respect, bring in the team that I'm going to work with um, yeah. and do it early and make it consistent. So like the team, one of the agencies I work with, am I allowed to plug an agency? Can yeah, I, of course can you can. Of course you can. Of course you can. And if they want to donate to the pod, they're more than welcome. <laughs> well, you, know, you can have that conversation with them on your own. Uh, so we work <laughs> with based pricing. We, uh, <laughs> we work with an agency called Emperor um, and We've worked now with them for a couple of years, I guess, and we've worked with them on all manner of things. So we've, they did our website and they've done um, event space design for us. They've done video presentation work for us. They've done all sorts and they kind of just muck in whenever we're like, hey, can, can we talk about doing this job? They're like, yeah, sure, let's talk about it. Um, I have the same team no matter what the work is. And there's always new people that like come in and out, right? Because there's specialists for different different jobs. So we had like a project manager for the website who was the project manager for the website and not for anything else. But my core team is the same group of people. And I see them every single time I go into the office, even if they're not in on the meeting, they walk by and they're like, hi. Um, and the person who brought me into the agency like she emails me periodically just to check in and see if I'm okay. They um, make a point of like really doing that, I feel. Um, and that is really, really nice. Um, and also knowing like my client director or whatever his job title is, like I feel like we're friends and sometimes I just want to have a chat. There's not work. I'm not going to pay him. You know, it's not like he's pitching me for the next project. We're just checking in. And when the project comes, I know he's 100% there. And it doesn't matter what the project is. Um, if I could duplicate that in every agency I ever worked for, I would. Because it makes doing the work way easier. Even when it's hard, especially when the work is hard. You know, especially when, as has happened, the plan for what we're going to do and the budget for what we're going to do changes in the middle of us doing it. Or we think we might have a little bit of extra for a follow-on project and that goes away. 
Um, you know, those conversations suck. It's much better to do that with people you know and get on with. We're big believers in that. I think that makes sense. And that's lovely to, to give them a plug, which is good. Um, Rebecca, we've taken up quite a lot of your time, but I do want to ask you something else about the, the CIPR. Um, so um, I'm, I'm a big believer um, in professional development and I'm a big believer in the potential that trade bodies can have um, for for industries, especially ones like ours, where there is a level of education that really needs to be done by practitioners to be able to learn more about how to be strategic and how to understand business and all of the wonderful things that you said. You've you've jumped in at the deep end uh, with with the, with the with the CIPR. So so tell tell us a little bit about what you're doing for them, but also what motivated you to do it and what you hope to get out of it for you and other people. So I've been a member of the CIPR since I think 2015. Ooh, I could be completely wrong about that year. It was not long after I moved to the UK, I guess. Um, and when I joined, I joined because I felt like I needed some sort of natural grouping because when I moved here, I didn't know anyone. So obviously, you know, stranger in a strange land is a real feeling. And um, I felt like maybe hanging out with other people who do what I do would be a good plan. And uh, that's, to be honest, not how it went. Um, I found a lot of comms events and things to be hugely clicky. Um, and, you know, the, the concept of like comms royalty, when you're a new practitioner, that's actually really uncomfortable. Everybody's like, oh, so-and-so is so wonderful. <laughs> Gotta be honest, seems like a normal dude to me. <laughs> Drinks beer just like me, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, so I actually did not feel entirely comfortable. Um, but as you may have gathered, I am not shy. Um, so <laughs> I sort of just kind of made my own way and did my own thing. Um, and then sort of last year, I guess, I um, I really realized that I have a particular type of privilege. Um, you know, I am not shy. I'm quite outspoken about things. I'm safe in being outspoken. I've always been lucky enough, whether it's luck or choice, I don't know, um, to have employers who are willing to let me go out on a professional limb for myself. Um, you know, they're not, you know, they're not going to tell me not to do things in my profession, even if it actually has nothing to do with them. Um, they don't care. And I think those kinds of privileges meant actually I'm going up the ladder quickly. I'm a young female now in aerospace. I'm doubly in an industry that is not super great for, for women. Aerospace is, is um, working on it, shall we say. Um, so I think last year I kind of really looked at myself and thought, how do I turn this into something useful so that the next kid who gets off the airplane from the United States isn't feeling the way I felt, even as the person I am. Um, so that was kind of the the genesis for trying to figure out how to get involved. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not as easy as deciding I wanted to get involved in getting involved because I really had no idea how to get involved. It was not obvious. Um, so as it happens, I was at a Christmas time drinks thing I don't even know which group organized it and I happened to talk to Jenny Field at the bar um and I kind of said exactly this like I really want to get involved I have no idea how I don't know I don't know what the plan is turned out that the um chair of the STEM group is stepping down and Jenny was like leave that with me and then the next thing I know I don't know if you've met Jenny but that's that's kind of, that's kind of her MO right she she goes for stuff um, which is a wonderful trait in any person. Uh, and as a result, here I am. Um, so to answer the second half of your question, I think what I personally want to get out of it is I want to round myself by exposing myself to more types of practitioners um, because just like agency can be a bubble, in-house can be a bubble too. Um, and as much, I think in the second tweet of my rant, I said sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Um, you did. Yeah. Look, I remember some things. Um, I just happened to really like that. Um, but I think it's important to understand the whole sector and the whole profession. And really, if I want people, 
I've been very lucky in that my practice has always been taken seriously strategically and I have always been able to get exposure to the people I need. And that's mostly down to me doing that. But if I want my whole profession to be able to have that, I have to be the change. So I have to put myself out and show the way more than I am perhaps naturally inclined to. Um, and kind of force the issue a little bit um, because then it's not just hot air, right? I can prove that I practice strategic communications. It's, it's literally the whole of my job. Um, I report to the CEO, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm not shunted down reporting to marketing, marketing reports to me. Um, and I can show people that that's real and that they can do that. Um, yeah. That sounds really high and mighty. I sound like an absolute asshole. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I was, I was, I was thinking what an absolute thought leader you sound. So. Oh, well, that's very flattering. You know, that's, it's a funny thing that, right. I think, I think I, th I think about things a lot. I think of, I, th I do a lot of thinking. Apparently I can't make words, but I do think a lot. Um, and I was very lucky growing up to have my dad as, um, and still have my dad as um, a business sounding board. Um, he has led businesses. And um, when I was a kid, I found him a little bit scary. But as an adult, I realized that I should have been terrified in the best possible way. Like he will listen to this as well. So he, he's going to, he's probably going to, he's been texting me while I'm doing this. So he's probably going to be amazing. amazing. Um, he, he will definitely listen to this. So hi, dad. Um, <laughs> Please like, share, and comment. No, that's my mom. My mom is the one amazing. who shares everything. Um, yeah, so I, I've always been very lucky to have both of my parents really um, as kind of sounding boards for things. And I know that not everybody has had that. Um, mm. And even now, you know, sometimes after a bad day at work, like I am not above admitting that some days I leave work and I cry because it's hard. You know, some days work is shit. It just is. And that's part of the deal. And I'll call my dad in an absolute panic. I don't know. I'm not cut out for this. I don't know how, I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody does that. Um, and he's like, shut up. You know what you're doing. And, you know, he never says it that way, actually. It's not at all. My dad usually um, asks me why I think stuff and why I've made those bad decisions and that kind of thing. Um, but if I can help facilitate a, a mechanism for other people to get that, even if it has to come from me, like the least I can do is give people some of my time and just channel my dad as best I can. He's much scarier than I am. And, if you want mentoring advice, go straight to Rebecca, not her dad. <laughs> yeah, he would he would really hate me if I sent people to him. Um, he, he's trying to be retired, so. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Rebecca, if people want to um, stalk you on social media. And I just need to read your tweets. Yeah. yeah, oh my God, yeah. Where, where they, can, they can totally digest and and think about your next uh diatribe on on twitter uh where, where where's the best place um for them to go well twitter obviously is the best place for them to go um, <laughs> i am at rf zeitlin on twitter and um, i'm sure you will very kindly spell that horror of a surname for people um, that would be z-e-i-t-l-i-n z what are you zed <laughs> <laughs> he's well she's trying I'm to fit in He's, he's, I was just—he's trying to channel uh, his inner American. I'm—you've got all confused. I know. I didn't. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Yes. It's a good thing that recipes didn't come up earlier on talking about tomatoes and tomatoes. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> uh, one of my friends is—it's basil and basil. She can't get over the fact that I say basil. She finds it really Amazing. strange. Amazing. Um, uh, yes, I'm Twitter wrong. is the. And uh, 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 wrong oh. listeners who are oh, oh, wow. to totally wrong. I, I, if it makes people feel better, I do put superfluous use in many of my words now. Yes, you're a true Brit now. Yeah, it's true. and I even spell aluminium correctly. <laughs> Excellent. So you're now a fully fledged uh, Brit. Uh, you've renounced your uh, colonial American uh, uh, heritage, <laughs> and uh, you've, Sorry, you've come Dad. back to the motherland. Yeah. Uh, he's one giving, of he us, gave... one of us. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that you guys want to keep me. Uh, who knows? Um... <laughs> we'll run a Twitter poll. It's fine. 
It does, it does seem that I do a lot of Twitter ranting. So that is, if you want rants, that's the place to go for the rants. Um, and sometimes food pictures, you know. Amazing. Yeah. Well, also, we all love food pictures. I'm also reachable on LinkedIn if, for the people who like being more professional than my Twitter account is. Fantastic. Do you have an Instagram for your recipes, by the way? I do have an Instagram. It is also at RF Zeitlin. I do not post any Twitter rants there. Um, I don't post any rants at all, in fact. Um, it is a lot of food and sometimes trees. That's that's my that's my sort of Instagram account right there. That is brilliant. Grumpy, I love it. Grumpy agency Fantastic. leaders head to Insta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Grumpy is genuinely grumpy agency leaders can just talk to me one on like face to face one on one in a crowded room on the internet you know if we want to fix this problem we have to freaking talk about it if we just shout in our own little bubbles when are when are we going to fix it um, and you're never going to win my business by shouting about it in your bubble come and talk to me i don't have any business right now by the way just to be very clear <laughs> Not currently looking very, for new very happy with the team of Emperor. Yeah. Another plug. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, that's great. Thank you very much for joining us on the PR Hub podcast tonight. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Been good fun. Uh, thanks so much for Rebecca for, for giving us the time. We hope you found that as interesting and as engaging as we did. Um, as we mentioned in the recording, if you want to follow her, John, what is her Twitter handle? It is at RFZeitling, which is Z-E-I-T-L-I-N. You can, of course, follow us on the PR Hub uh, Twitter feed at PR Hub. Adam is at Adam Tuckwell. I'm at John Wilcox underscore no H in John. Uh, please do like, share, subscribe, comment, and all that sort of jazz as well. And until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. Bye. Bye bye.